Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, I'm Nate Larkin. Oh, this gets a little bit old apologizing for our erratic recording schedule, but uh, really it's been hard to get things into a normal rhythm when life for both of us, but especially for you, Aaron, has been so abnormal for the last, gosh, almost at least the last nine months, almost the last year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, you haven't, you know, we haven't burdened the listeners or the, uh, you know, the, you, uh, obviously are an open book to your close circle of friends and I'm privileged to be within that circle. Uh, you haven't been, uh, you know, broadcasting your trials and travails, uh, to the world at large, but I'm wondering if maybe this is the time when you are ready to make a bit of an explanation, yeah. uh, to the Samson guys and girls. Yeah, I think uh, I remember when we did our 200th episode and I talked some about being careful about telling other people's stories. Yeah. And yeah. so this is one of those times when it's really hard because other people's stories are so deeply a part of my story. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, when somebody tells a story without sufficient detail it just makes me think all kinds of things and make up all kinds of narratives so i think that's been that's been a hard part of this season i've appreciated my my handful of guys that have been so there through this um but yeah i think you know we've mentioned in the past it's been a really hard season for me with one of our children um Mm -hmm. and then last december my wife decided she wanted to start a new life and Mm -hmm. she did. And so that was a really strange transition. It was certainly, uh, there there were a lot of different plans and ideas and things didn't settle down for about three months. Yeah. Um, But now it has been just uh, me and my two youngest ones here. And it was good in some ways, good for them, I think, to go to California. It was pretty hard for me. And I think especially, I'm sure there are listeners that get this, that when something like this happens, sometimes people don't know how to support you. And especially when you're a pastor, because it causes them to be really confused by like, they need answers. Yeah. And they and they need a villain, and who's who is in the wrong, and are you still worthy of you know me having tied some of my faith to you as a person, which always scares the heck out of me. I sure hope people don't tie their faith to me, but it kind of comes with the whole pastoral thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I think that I I kept my circle very small, just because yeah. I didn't have the emotional capacity to have to tell the story over and over again. And I also knew that I wasn't going to give the details people would have wanted because I, I don't. And this was on, on your summer trip out to California. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So it was, so it was pretty, it was, it was an interesting time. Um, 
and it was certainly a time where I had enough space because I wasn't taking care of the kids full time. They were with their friends and they were at camps uh, that I got to spend a lot more time with myself and kind of think through just a a lot, a lot about my own heart. I mean, that's why I, I can't, I can't simply put the characters in black hats and white hats. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just silly. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yes, that, that has been the last nine months and here I am and I feel really grateful because all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I have experienced now a whole bunch more things that I've talked to people about for years and listened to their stories, but I hadn't experienced it and now I get to experience it. So I'm a more (laughs) educated man. (laughs) You know, just today, David Hampton and I recorded a uh, an episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast with a woman who had a quote that I thought, I mean, it just tore me up. I haven't been able to get away from it all day. She says, she said, pain pushes until vision pulls. Mm. Isn't that something? Uh, and so, you know, I do know that for my own, uh, in my own life, you know, my, my times of regression and stagnation been those times when I'm ducking and running from pain and trying to avoid pain and trying to shift, change the subject and change the narrative and distract and, and not feel. Right. Uh, and yet uh, progress only comes when uh, I take, I face the pain and I walk through the hard stuff and uh, resist the temptation to justify myself by, uh, you know, pointing out what everybody else has done wrong. And I'm, I'm proud of you, Aaron, for not going there. Well, uh, I've, I've, got, I've got plenty of my own uh, evidence to the contrary of being the good guy. So that makes it yeah, really yeah. easy. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I think it's interesting, and it's still something that I will be unpacking for a while. But yeah. such a huge thing this summer, and the way you – you talked about it earlier with me today that there I have always felt like, okay, I, there's, there's no reason for me to be listened to as an authority, as someone who has stuff figured out. Like yeah. I, I've never been that I struggle and walk through my own stuff and, and just really being hit with so much grief this summer on that that just yeah, felt like yeah. I don't I don't want to do the podcast. This just feels like I, I I don't like telling people what to do or think or believe anyways. That just feels mm-hmm. painful to me. But mm-hmm. uh I you said well this is Samson and we don't have a penalty box. Yeah. And it's funny because it really so much of it in my heart was like okay what what kind of space do I need to take or time to take? And and I think there's legitimacy to that in in healing reasons and for healing, yes. And you know, even we have an emergency room, but we don't have a penalty box. <laughs> there you go. So, anyways, it's it has been a confusing and confounding summer uh, and last nine months. So there you go. There's the story. Now everybody's all caught up. 
<laughs> are you uh, are you officially and legally single at this point, Aaron? No, I think that will be happening in the next few weeks. Okay. So. Right. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a what a what a what a huge unexpected uh, uh, change. Uh, but here's what we know. God is sovereign. God is in it. And um, he will make something beautiful out of all of this. I am completely excited about what life will look like in the years to come. Because it, okay. it is a wide open blank canvas in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So All right. Well, uh, we have an interview on tap. It's one you and I recorded a couple of weeks ago with Noah Filipiak, returning guest. We were celebrating the debut, the official debut of his, uh, his book, Beyond the Battle. Uh, and we touch on familiar themes of recovery and community. Uh, it's a helpful and inspiring conversation. We're finally able to, to tack it onto a show. So listen to us or, or, or stay with us. Listeners and, will and be then, back. And then listen to us. Stick around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shut up and listen. <laughs> Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, this is uh, uh, this episode's being recorded on release day for a brand new book, uh, 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 an exciting uh, uh, an exciting book by a, a previous guest on the podcast. Noah Filipiak is here, and today is the day when Beyond the Battle hits the bookshelves uh, nationwide officially. Right, Noah? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's an exciting yeah. day. Thanks. Uh, the full title of the book is Beyond the Battle, A Man's Guide to His Identity in Christ in an Over-Sexualized World. Uh, man, what a great title. And uh, and I've just got to tell you, congratulations on the book. How does it, it is, feel to be on the release date? I mean, that's big. It, it's big. It's it's been a long time coming. Honestly, the, I, I won't get into the full details, but I, I I started working on this book ten years ago, and so we'll just it's been a ten year journey to get to this day. So it's uh, uh, it's it's a relief. It's exciting, and yeah, it's cool to see even the minister. I, I indie published the book in 2018. That's a, a big part of the story, and then the Zondervan um, conversation and deal came along last year. And so it's neat to see the book evolve and be be used by God in men's lives already and in my own life already. Uh, and, and then to see this version be able to come out that's better. It's it's uh, the guys that I've led through the book. It's, it's a lot of their stories, a lot of the, not their stories, I should say, but you know, when you, whenever you read a book and you go, yeah, I wish they talked more about this or no, that's not very helpful to me. Uh, I was able to get all that feedback from guys, dozens and dozens of guys that we were doing small groups with and just made the book better. And so it's just neat. It's, it's a it's a unique journey, I think, that a book doesn't normally uh, get to have. 
And so this is a fun day. It's a, it's a day to celebrate for sure. Well, I have read the cover of the book. And <laughs> a couple things struck me. One, Beyond the Battle seems to indicate that you have experienced or have felt that sometimes the battle becomes the all-encompassing thing mm. that guys live with and think about. And frankly, it becomes just as much of an obsessive addiction as whatever the addiction was. Mm. So is that what is meant by beyond the battle? That's a big piece of it. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and, and uh, often that, that battle, I think two ways. One, we, we try to win that quote-unquote battle with willpower and a lot of our symptom-based strategies. You know, for me, and uh, the, sort of the, the, the books that I read in, in sort of my formative years of, of my battle with pornography and lust and uh, and then into my marriage as I, as I, you know, th th those solutions aren't long-term solutions, right? So you kind of just can, the battle just perpetuates. And so I'm into my marriage and then I'm, I'm going back to porn and back to lust and, and, and going back to the same willpower sort of symptom-based strategies. And the title is really a way of saying, we got to get beyond that. We have to get beyond, because that's not freedom. You know, freedom is yeah. for one, it doesn't work, first of all. And two, it's, it's not freedom, uh, Aaron, you know, like you were saying, it's, it almost just becomes its own, its own form of slavery in a way. And, uh, I, I, and I don't think we, we never want to say we've arrived, but when you, but when you've experienced freedom at a different level, uh, man, it's amazing. And you do, you do want to tell other people about it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What real quick, cause this is a, a guide to our identity in Christ in an over-sexualized world. But what, how do you define what it is to experience identity in Christ just without the over-sexualized part, just in and of itself? Yeah, it's hard for me to separate the two, honestly, only because I, for me and my wound, I was looking for my identity so much in women uh, and in sex. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I would say to answer your question, to, you know, to separate them, um, my identity is in Christ is as his son. It's as his beloved, it's as the father's son, I should say, through Jesus. It's through Jesus's love for me. Uh, that's my identity, that, that in him, I get to be called a son. I get to be called an adopted, beloved son. And so uh, I think whether someone struggles with porn or sex, acting out issues or other issues, whether it's other, you know, we all struggle with insecurity in different ways. And we try to get that insecurity filled in many different ways. We're all searching, I think, for that that approval, that validation, and uh, that to me is is my what my identity in Christ gives me. It, it tells me who I am, so that I don't have to go looking for it elsewhere. And so, when those voices come along to tell me who I am, I, I can say I, I'm good. I already know who I am. I'm already filled up. I, I don't need you uh, to, you know, I don't need you to to, to fill me up. So that's. Um, that's to me, my identity in Christ. It's, it's as a beloved son of the father. And that the, mm. the blood is enough for the struggles and the failures. So that becomes the unshakable, what we arrive at. We can arrive at that regardless of any behaviors or thoughts. Yeah, that's, what's beautiful. And it's so scandalous about grace is this idea that, uh, and I hope this doesn't sound too, 
preachy, uh, you know, preachy words here. Um, if it does, let's say it a different way. But I, I just think um, it's amazing when we think about nothing we do when we're in Christ. So we, we've, we've, we're in his grace. And I, I lean into Colossians 1, for this, uh, among other verses as well. But uh, when the Father looks at me, he sees me as holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. And uh, I, I tell myself and other guys, uh, men and women, no matter what you do, nothing you do can make uh, God love you more or less than he does right now. You, you, you could be the best church boy or girl in the world. He's not going to love you anymore. And you can go on a porn binge and and, and acting out binge, and he's not going to love you any less. And that's amazing, and that's the best news in the world. And uh, that's that's what I feed off of. That that's the the beginning of of our, of our path towards this this true freedom. Mm. Now, Nate, you heard that all your life, and yet in the midst oh. of your struggles, like walk through those words, which are so true. And I know you heard them as a kid. And how that got filtered during your years? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I feel like that message was given to me and taken away. It was a really smooth move. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> to me, it's ironic that you know, so often churches with grace in the name are the ones that are the most legalistic and the least grace based. Mm. We're great at singing amazing grace, but when it comes down to it, there's just this big conditional but, you know, qualifier at the end that comes around and uh, comes back to bite you on the ass. So um, <clears throat> I also think that there were a great many messages, including kind of implicit or subliminal messages in Christian culture as I was growing up and as I was leading uh, other people, you know, through their teenage and early 20s. And and Noah, you touch on these as you open the book. Uh, The way Christian, contemporary Western Christian culture has tended to, uh, you know, what what are the pitfalls of purity culture? How have we idealized and fantasized about marriage? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, how have we, uh, you know, and what message has that sent to single people? And how has, uh, you know, that way of thinking fed into, you know, unrealistic expectations and feelings of entitlement once we get married? I mean, there's, that's a whole big deal there. And I found myself deep in that swamp as yeah. a young married man and as a pastor. Talk a little bit about that, will you, Noah? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I can just speak for my own story a little and then kind of expand out from there. But I um, I never had words for what I was really looking for, that desire beneath the desire. At the time, mm-hmm. you know, I... I, I um, I was a Christian. I loved Jesus. Uh, my wife and I were both virgins when we got married. And in the, the sexual purity books that I was reading, uh, they basically, not just basically, I mean, they told me, they, I, I quote one of them uh, in, in my book where you get a sexual payoff in your marriage yeah. if, you, if you do things this way. And I was really taught, uh, gosh, they didn't say it this way, but man, this is how I learned it. Um, in, in, 
I was never taught not to objectify women uh, in, in, you know, pornography. I, I, I was taught not to look at pornography and I was taught to instead objectify my wife and mm-hmm. to turn my wife into pornography. So sort of two things are going on at once. One, that idol of marriage was there where, where marriage was the, the penultimate. It was the be all end all um, God's reward for your, you know, your sexual um, good behavior is this sexual payoff. Uh, in marriage. And that led to a cataclysmic fall in, in my life where three years into my marriage, I wanted a divorce. Uh, and it was very close to going and living an extremely promiscuous life uh, that I did not act on that. But I was I was very close and in a very dark place. Um, and, but that's that's what happens when you, you set up an expectation and entitlement uh, to something like that. While at the same time, I didn't even know what love was. I, I, I mean, and, and I've had to confess this to my wife. We've had, we've done a lot of work, you know, on our marriage, but, uh, I, I looking back, I go, man, I was taught that marriage was just a sex vending machine. You know, it's just this mm-hmm. idea that you, you're going to, you're going to get this from your wife and she owes it to you and you deserve it. And so a really, uh, convoluted approach uh, to marriage in, in, in the first place. And then I would say to what you said about singles, I was very discontent as a single person. I felt like, mm-hmm. uh, back to that validation, I needed a woman and an, an attractive woman, a woman who wanted me. I needed that for me to be valuable. And really yeah, the church and these books, they, they reinforce that message. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the way that you cite uh, the the golden haired woman. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, this. So uh, let's talk some more about the desire behind or beneath the desire. Because uh, I, I, you're really you're really on to that. I think that in the end. Um, we want more than just the physical sensation. Yeah. Right. Um, what is it we're looking for and where is the right place to find it? Yeah. You know, um, that I, I had this, I remember, uh, kind of college age, uh, guy at my, at my church in Lansing, um, my, my previous pastor, pastor job. And I, I was, doing his wedding as well. Um, and we kind of got into a little dis- kind of argument or disagreement where we were talking about, about porn and, and sex mm-hmm. and, and marriage and all those sorts of things. And, and uh, he's like, I-, I was trying to make the argument that you're, what you're after is, is more than just body parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, he pushed back a little bit and it's like, no, it just feels like there's just times and I just, that's just what I want. I want that. I just want, you know, kind of the orgasm, the body parts, you know, the porn, whatever. Um, and, and I think it's really important that we, we pause and I tried to, I think this is something I added to the second edition. I don't remember, but it's in the book somewhere, um, where I, I just tried to slow down there and go, okay, if we were really just after the body parts or the orgasm feeling, then, then why is, all pornography or swimsuit edition, even sort of stuff, which is how I got into pornography in the first place. It's 
it's very seductive in the way mm-hmm. in the way that that women are are posing and, and and in the way that these these images are taken um by and large 99.99% of of pornography or whether it's you know you're watching a movie or a tv show that has a a scene in it that you're watching it's it's a seductive message that's saying you know, I, this attractive woman, I want you, I want you like you, you know, and and look at me, I'm, I, I I have a seductive look on my face. I have a seduction into you. They don't just put naked people in these magazines or, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not magazines anymore. It it was back in the day, but they don't just put pictures of naked people online. Uh, It's, it's naked people being very seductive, being very suggestive. And so underneath that picture on the surface of, of body parts, is this message, this feeling, and that's where the fantasy goes in. I don't need to have this in real life. I can have it in my head that this attractive person, they want me. And that's ultimately what I want. That's my desire beneath my, the physical desire is an emotional desire to be wanted. I don't, I I, I want this, in my case, as a man, it's this attractive woman. uh, I want her to want me. And, and then we can take, we can go to God and we can say, God, what is up? What's up inside of me? Why do I want to be wanted so badly? And, uh, I, I try in the book to walk people through some of that path and, you know, other books and counselors do a great job of that as well of us trying to ask that question. What is it about my past? What is it about the world I live in that has given me this, this hunger that is unmet, uh, unmet hunger? to be desired. Uh, mm-hmm. And it feels like women will, will meet that. It feels like pornography uh, will, will meet that desire. And we know they never does. And that's why the addictive cycle um, continues. So I, yeah. I totally agree. Absolutely. Throughout my life, what I have looked for in false intimacy is intimacy or mm. the feeling of connection for sure. But I want to push back slightly on some of the terminology we're using here because no, our wives cannot meet all of those needs. Ultimately, I have to have an identity rooted in Christ so that I'm not putting that burden on my wife to give me Mm -hmm. because she can't. While at the same time, God has given us this amazing relationship to give us those physical experiences and our wife is not supposed to be the the person we objectify that detaches from that connection while just using them for false intimacy right because i think sex within marriage can have that but sex within marriage can also be the fulfillment or the physical look in her eyes that makes me understand how accepted and loved i am by god and it's okay to love her body parts. Um, geez, we've got the whole book of the Song of Solomon talking about that. I am my beloved, and he is mine. And Ezekiel, when God talks about his wife being taken from her, he calls her the delight of his eyes. Like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that is always hard in Growing up with the sex is bad until you're married, and then sex yep. is great. And, <laughs> and so, I, I don't know. There's got to be a way where we 
we can find that and find that delight and have that with our spouse so that the struggle doesn't take away the amazing intimacy that's supposed to include the orgasm and all the soft and wobbly bits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Aaron, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. And in that in that section in Beyond the Battle, I I write into this uh, as well. And I think the question we all have to ask ourselves as as husbands in this case is, um, am I well? A couple of questions: Am I having sex with my wife um, as a person, as a whole person, or am I having sex with my wife as a body? And those are two different experiences and two different approaches and two different things. And I, and I think too, um, it's, it's that question and, uh, man, it's, this is so tough. Um, and I, I try to write about this in a, in a way that's, um, oh, you know, it's wrestling with how, how vulnerable to be, you know, in my own, in my own issues and struggles and those sorts of things. But I think a question we can ask ourselves as guys is, you know, if my wife gained a hundred pounds or something like that, uh, would, would I still love her? Would I still be attracted to her? Would I still enjoy, you know, sex with her? Uh, or would, would, would she no longer, um, you know, satisfy me anymore? What would, would I go elsewhere? And, and those are indicators, um, not of, so I, I, in the book I talk about, it's in, um, Proverbs five, six, and seven are a really great three chapters about sex. Um, and in Proverbs five, I don't have it right in front of me. I could probably pull it up. Um, but it's the, uh, I feel like Proverbs uh, five is an old man writing to a, a young man about sex. And, uh, he talks about, uh, it, it was, it's funny because when I was a, a, a teenager, I would read these verses, uh, here, I'll just, I'll just find them for you. It's, uh, so I'm not butchering a paraphrase. So Proverbs five, uh, 18, May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And I read that as a, you know, highly hormonal driven teenager and thought, great, you know, God loves breasts. It says it, you know, right here in the, in, in, in the, in the Bible, he's, a, he, you know, in, in a sense that, that, he wants me to love them. You know, he wants me to, you know, love my wife's breasts and, and whatnot. And the, I think what, what I internalized as I, as I went into my marriage was, um, back to what I said earlier, you can, you can kind of turn your wife into pornography and you can use a verse like this, maybe even, even to justify it. Um, and what I've had to learn the hard way, I've been married 17 years now, which, you know, certainly many have been married much longer, but, um, that this, this old man talking to a young man in Proverbs five, when he says, um, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Um, I was 21 when I got married and my wife is 22. And I don't think you would, uh, you would tell, um, when you say the, the wife of your youth, he's, he's referring to his wife in that way. So this guy who maybe is in his, I don't know, in our age, sixties or seventies, He's reflecting on the wife of his youth, and he's saying, uh, may her breasts satisfy you always. It's the same breast uh, from when she was 22 to when she's 62. They're going to look different. Her body's going to look different. But the fact is they are hers, and she is a whole person, and that is what makes them intoxicating. Um, and, and that's really helped me as, as my 
marriage has has matured and and I think it helps me meld those two things that yes um marriage is a beautiful place for sex and it is it is the ultimate metaphor of the bride and the bridegroom of Christ and his church and the intimacy um but that ultimate enjoyment uh I'm telling you and I know this is just from my story it's so much better to have sex with your wife for who she is having sex because you love her not having sex because you love sex um and and that that's where that's where i go uh with, with that with that type of um with that question so that's, that's uh, actually that's really ironic that if the marriage is healthy and you're having sex with your wife as a person the response you will get will fill that underlying need that you were looking for in pornography but if you have sex with her as a body She'll know it, and the response you will get will leave you with the same gaping hole. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's huge. Yeah. Well, as the old guy in the conversation, the guy married the longest, um, I am grateful for you reminding us that bodies change with time. And that's a. as tough as that may be for guys to accept, I think that it's almost mm. tougher for women to accept. And you talk about, you know, the astronomical sales of age-defying creams and lotions and yeah. potions and how yeah. hard, you know, how much time and money women will expend to try to be forever 23. Uh, you talk about that. This is a very interesting issue. You ask the question, uh, what if the woman wants to be objectified? What if she mm. is so bought into the culture that she can only uh, what she's looking for is the affirmation that comes from uh, someone uh, appreciating her physical appearance? What's the best way to love that woman? Would you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. That, there, uh, there's a phrase that comes to mind from my early days in twelve-step recovery. One of our standard readings, there was this phrase that said, we lusted and we wanted to be lusted after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was never a big part of my issue because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the physique that women lusted after. But I knew that there were other guys in the room where that was at least as intoxicating for them yeah, as lusting. And, and their self-concept uh, was so tied up in whether they were being lusted after so what if you're in a relationship with a woman who's kind of got that battle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that's a real question and let me preface it uh because of some of the stuff in the last in the last few years uh sexual abuse stuff that's come out i i have a long footnote in that section to just really clarify what i even mean by objectifying there that women want to be objectified i do not mean and it, there, there's no there's no woman out there that wants to be sexually abused and, right. and a, a woman who's dressing provocatively, she's she's not asking to be raped or sexually abused. And I just I'm clear with that in the book, so I just want to be clear with that here. But I I just say you know look, um, as guys, it's so that section comes right after I talked about the sex trafficking industry, and I talk about a lot of statistics about sex trafficking and how a lot of the pornography that you're looking at is funding the sex trafficking industry, and you can kind of go. that makes me sick to my stomach. I don't want to support that. I I don't want to lessen objectify over women who are being forced into this role. And then second, there's women in real life 
Uh, I think the majority of women I know, it's they're they that women that are attractive or pretty. It's like they're just pretty. They're just attractive. They're just wearing clothes. Like they don't. They're they're not. Just because yeah. someone's pretty, it doesn't want you. They don't want you looking her up and down. You know, that's not. She's just. She doesn't have to wear a bag. You know, she can just wear clothes that she buys at the department store, and and it's up to you, as the guy, to not look at her. You know, to not lust over her. I should say, uh, to to look at her as a whole person. Um, but then that leads into this. Okay, but in real life, uh, yeah, there's women, and and the way I kind of tease out the word objectify, it's just yeah, there's there's women that. They're going to a bar um, and they, they want someone to take them home. You know, they, they want, they, they want promiscuous sex. Um, and there's, you can turn on the radio and there's, there's songs about that. You know, there's songs about just that this is desired by some. Uh, and so what do you do when, when that's sort of the one strategy of, uh, oh, well, I don't want to lust over her because she doesn't want that. Um, when you're in a situation where a, a woman actually does want that. And so we do an exercise in the small group, um, small group curriculum, shameless plug. Uh, there is free small group curriculum that comes with the book. So uh, <laughs> yeah. um, shameless plug, it's free. So I, I feel fine shamelessly plugging it. Um, and, and so one of the exercises we do at this section is, um, and I don't remember if this is in the book or just, the, I think it's just in the questions, but um, I, oh, it's in the book too. Yeah. I, I talk about if you met a teenage boy and he was born into labor slavery and all he'd ever known was being beaten by his master with this whip and uh, his master died. And literally it's his all, his only way of viewing reality is he exists. He exists as a, an object to, to be used for labor. And he meets you, you're the next human he meets, and he hands you the whip and he says, uh, you know, whip me, uh, beat me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave, you know, you, you need, I, I need to work for you, you need to tell me what to do and, 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 and hit me with this whip. And I just say in the small group question, you know, what would you do? What would you do if you were in that, that kind of extreme sort of absurd example of a, a, a teenage boy giving you a whip and telling you that, um, what would you do? No, well, nobody, nobody is going to whip the boy. No, you know, nobody's going to do that. Well, why, why wouldn't you outside of fact, you know, that it's wrong. And we walk kind of walk through that. Uh, well, you would be reinforcing a lie that he believes about himself because he's not actually a slave. He's not actually an object to be used for someone else's labor. And so if you were to do what he wants, uh, you would just be reinforcing a lie from Satan about his image and about his dignity and his his lovability. And so we would not whip him. What would we do instead? Uh, and you can go around the group and, and get that get those ideas. Well, I would uh, I'd I'd try to take him to church, or I'd tell him about Jesus, or I'd give him a hug, or I'd buy him a meal, or I would uh, I'd try to be his friend. I'd try to adopt him. You know, whatever. Like you, you all these ideas that you might try to do. With the the goal being, um, I want him to know who he really is, and the only way to get him to know who he really is is to not whip him. Because uh, if I reinforce the lie that that he believes about himself, uh, it's it's only gonna it's only gonna make things worse. And so anyway, it plays out better, I promise. In the actual small circle, <laughs> but uh, but um, that's a that's an exercise where we go. We and in conclusion, we say. Um, even if a woman wants that, 
uh, whether it's in real life or it's, it's, on a, it's on a screen, when I indulge her desire to, to be uh, objectified in that way, to be given that attention, I'm reinforcing a lie that she believes about herself, that her only value is in her body. Her only value is in being an object. Um, if, I, if I click or if I, I go down that path with her, um, whereas to me, it's, it's almost evangelism to just say, no, no, that's not who you are. I'm not. And even if that boy were to say, was to cuss you out and to say, you know, I am a slave. This is all I've ever known. Um, he's not going to accept your message. Probably you still wouldn't whip him. You would walk away eventually. The, um, the cool so. thing about the cool th- thing about your example is twofold to me. One that you're talking about us being the voice of a gospel identity in other people's lives, mm-hmm. which is huge. But the second is that it is a gradient line between what is good and what is bad. Because if helping that boy was to say, never serve anyone again, don't ever help anyone, don't ever, because this was bad in your life. Well, that'd be messed up because we hope that he becomes whole and has mm-hmm. his identity apart from slavery and then finds the right place for service that's not slavery. Yeah. And the same going back to your comment, Nate, what mm-hmm. if you're married to a woman who needs that? Well, it, it goes back to loving the whole person. Yeah. Because anybody that it is right to say to your wife, man, you look beautiful tonight. Absolutely. And yet, that's a statement of objectifying. But it's a messy word where it has this long line at one end, it's good and filling to her soul. And at the other one, it takes away her personhood. Yeah. And so I think it comes back to that same answer you gave earlier, Noah, that loving the person takes care of a lot of these harder problems and knowing that sex and body parts and finding delight in your wife in those ways has a good and soul filling place when your identity's in Christ and when you're wanting to speak that into her life. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that whole example I just gave, I'm thinking not within your marriage, I'm thinking of, you know, sort of that woman at the bar kind of temptation sort of thing, but you're right that within marriage, it brings us back to uh, the idea of one flesh. And that's a whole chapter in the book is just this idea of in a one flesh relationship you can enjoy one another's bodies. You can enjoy one another sensually and sexually and uh, enjoy the visual stimulus of one another's body because it's within, I, I talk about it like a cake recipe where in a cake recipe, uh, sugar is what makes the cake sweet. That's the sex. But you also have flour and butter and eggs and everything else that goes into a mm-hmm. cake. And that balances out and supports the sugar. It, it, makes, it makes the cake a cake. And that's what I think makes marriage marriage is that you have the whole person definition. And within that, let's not get rid of the sugar because now you have bland bread and that's not God's design. So let's, let's enjoy one another's body um, and, and sexually. But when you do it within the context of a whole person, you're no longer objectifying the person. You're, you're, simply, uh, you're simply, it's one whole person uh, embracing another whole person. And that's what's beautiful about God's design. That's why sex is designed marriage. Marriage is the thing that's meant to support it. Yeah. Oh, I loved, I, I love that. And I, I, I got a kick out of the story you told about uh, in front of a group of people uh, using, uh, 
you know, sugar. asking them, do, do you like sugar? Yeah. Tell <laughs> go ahead. Spin that out story. of the sugar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I learned to never do this. No, yeah, don't yeah. do this at home kids. Okay. Don't you. Kid? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I hospitalized one person and I, I got sugar all spit almost all over all of our electric guitars on stage the, the other time. <laughs> but yeah, during a sermon, uh, I, I grabbed one of the cylinder sugar pourers from the coffee bar and I said, raise your hand if you like sugar. And uh, everybody, you know, raised their hand. I didn't show them the cylinder yet. And we named foods that include sugar in them. And then I said, well, I'll give 20 bucks to anybody who comes up on stage because you all like sugar so much uh, and, and eat this whole cylinder of sugar for 20 bucks. And so an eighth grade boy uh, from the back uh, jumped out of his seat, 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I uh, brought him on stage and he, this was attempt number one of this. He, uh, he poured the sugar onto his tongue and it just, it was a mountain on his tongue. You could just see it piling up, 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 up. Like it wasn't going down his throat. It was just going up, up, up. His yeah, yeah. Tongue. And then it just went <clears throat> all over the stage. <laughs> But the worst example was the second time I did it, it was at a college ministry at Michigan State. And so it's all college students. And this freshman comes up on, he's determined, you know, this guy's 18, 19. He's going to prove me wrong. He's dead set that he's going to eat this cylinder of sugar. And so he sits down and I have to preach. The, he's chomping away at the sugar. like. Oh, oh. And I'm preaching. I have 20 minutes left of my sermon because this was supposed to end after 10 seconds like it did the first time. Yeah. So he gets to the end of my sermon. He's halfway through the cylinder. And I'm like, dude, you need to stop. That is so bad for you. Here's your money. <laughs> 20 bucks. And uh, I found out later that he had to go to the hospital for uh, headaches and, and just all kinds of crazy stuff that all that sugar uh, did. <laughs> so don't do that example. But it, but uh, it, it was a fun example. But you proved uh, your point. All sugar is bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> the point was sugar is not meant to be eaten on its own. It's meant to be within a larger recipe. And that was the point. And we proved it, right? So it'll make you sick if that's all you do is eat sugar. <laughs> and, and we're sorry that you're still having to pay for his insulin shots to this day. But <laughs> you know, at least it was a great example. It was it was all for Jesus. That's right. <laughs> well, how do people get in touch with you? How do they get this book that is now available? Yeah, uh, easiest way, not that you can spell it, but noahphilippiac.com. Uh, everything's there, and uh, you should be able to get Beyond the Battle, I think, uh, wherever books are sold, right? Is that, the, is that what they yeah. say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Find bookstores everywhere. That's and right, Amazon. Uh, which don't yeah, exist yeah, anymore. Yeah, and and for those uh, for those of you uh, guys who are uh, looking to maybe do a forty day challenge with some other guys, have some discussion groups, some structured stuff. You're looking for your yeah. next book. There's forty days of great questions at the back of this book that'll walk you through the material. Noah, thanks for joining us again. Congratulations on the book. It was ten years well spent. Uh, and and the time shows this uh, this book was written with care. It has depth. Uh, at the same time, I love that it's written in a conversational tone, and and you take a, a no bullshit approach to the whole topic. Uh, it's very refreshing. This yeah. is not this is not saccharine Christianese. It's very <laughs> gospelicious, but it's real mm. world as well. 
Thanks, thanks, Noah. Thanks. Yeah. Listeners, thank you. stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. It was great. I yeah. love bringing, bringing the gospel identity into the struggle. <laughs> uh, it, you know, I, we didn't mention this during the, uh, during the interview, but Noah does actually lead these online groups. You can read the book along with him at beyondthebattle.net. And then there are, you know, weekly free uh, Zoom meetings for alumni who go through the course. I've heard great things about uh, about that course at Beyond the Battle. That sounds great. I yeah. love the, all the resources that go along with this conversation. It's, it's yeah. important. Yeah. To engage it and engage it in a way that goes beyond just focusing on pornography. Yay. Yeah. You know, I, I, recovery is just uh, to me. It's a gift. It 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 it's an invitation into a much larger conversation. And when we when we start, and we have to take the gospel seriously in order to recover. Uh, and then the gospel starts to ask probing questions uh, about pretty much all of the assumptions under which we have been operating. And, uh, you know, it's a great adventure. This is not uh, a restrictive, you know, you know, a sin management, uh, you know, I'm not sure what I'm reaching for here. But anyway, I'm just grateful to be in recovery, to be in the conversation and to be now a colleague of another brother who's doing some wonderful work. Good deal. Well, yeah. it's nice to be a part of the conversation in the middle of a day, which is unusual for us. Yeah. And thank you for, I, we, uh, we had to adjust our, our normal recording time and, uh, you, uh, were willing to interrupt your, your work schedule to do it. And you did it on very short notice. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm glad to have you in the conversation, Aaron. Well, uh, yeah, the podcast is much better when you're here. I think everybody agrees. Well, thanks. And with that, <laughs> I got to get back to work, man. Okay. You go do it. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.